Hello and welcome to The Dirt in association with Envy. We're the podcast that celebrates everything you grow, even the eight-legged carrots. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Laura's co-host Blake. Stay tuned for your weekly offering of gardening gossip and jobs to get done on the plot. But first, we've got the wonderful Alice Fowler on the end of the line for a chat. So welcome to the dirt, Alice. And I hope it's as sunny where you are as it is here in Essex. It's glorious in Birmingham right now. Really, really beautiful. Finally, finally. Yeah, it's so nice. (laughs) We had like minus two last night. Wow. Oh, really? You know. I think yesterday was one of those deceptive days where it looked really sunny and then you went outside and it was actually cold, but it seems to be a bit warmer today, which is very Yeah, it seemed, I feel like last night was the kind of, we've done the worst bit now. (laughs) It's going to be fine from here on in. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Um, So we'd like to kick off by asking you in your gardening career so far, what have been your real successes, things that you're especially proud of? Yeah, it's the little things, isn't it, that don't kind of... I mean, clearly, it's really amazing to have written books and to have had a TV show. Those things are obvious. Mm-hmm. But, like, I just picked my first really fat asparagus. <laughs> I bought this, like... Um, I bought these uh, asparagus... Um, crowns from Lidl in the discount section and they were so dry I mean this was years ago I mean this is why you shouldn't buy the kind of discount section stuff because they've sat in a hot supermarket but I was determined to rescue them and I have had to pour so much love into these things it's unbelievable but finally seven years later they have decided to play ball so I'm counting that as like a grand win at the moment I think that's pretty impressive yeah you know having your book published uh, getting a really fat asparagus crown <laughs> on a level with one another. Um, so, do you know how? Do you know how you're going to eat it? Oh, um, well, I've got chickens, so I went and spoke nicely to them <laughs> and got some eggs, and I'm going to dip it into a runny egg. As far as I'm concerned, it's the only way to eat asparagus, really. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I think as well, you mentioned there rescuing the asparagus crown from the supermarket. I would say this is a thing that crops up with gardeners that even if we know the you know the stuff that you see that's been rejected in the supermarket it's not always the best idea but I think plant lovers in general have a real need to rescue plants oh completely because you see them in that discount thing and you think they're only going to further dry out and then they're going to end up in the bin and and that like crushes me because you think how much like energy it took to get them there um and so, of course, you know, you, you're like, oh, well, I'm doing a good thing by rescuing them. I don't think you are doing a good thing at all because I think you're just, you know, promoting bad, um, you know, bad care of and sort of after sale care of um, of plants. But I cannot, you know, you show me like a lemon with only two leaves on it. It's coming home with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be rescued. Um you mentioned um you mentioned your books there. Um you've actually got two new books out at the moment, haven't you? Would you like to tell us? Yes, about I them? I do, which seems ridiculous to have two books out at once, but that's what the sort of that's what COVID has done to it. So I have one book called Eat What You Grow, which is um all about uh sort of polyculture, sort of mixed um vegetable growing so growing everything together in one space rather than growing it in single lines which is the kind of cottage garden 
food growing that like yeah. I love particularly. And then I've got a children's book called Grow, Forage and Make, which is in conjunction with Kew Gardens. Um, and it's a really lovely, beautiful, lavish, like the illustrations are just fantastic. They're done by this wonderful woman called Heidi Griffith. And, mm. and they really bring the book completely to life. I mean, I feel like it's her book, really. Um, and it was so much fun to write a children's book because essentially you got to be a kid again, <laughs> go back out into the garden and kind of, you know, mess around and experiment and try things out. And um, yeah, it's I actually feel immensely proud of the children's book and in a way that I find harder to be proud of my adult books because, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm sort of a stronger critic of myself, but this book was just joyous to write and uh like I say then also you have this lovely thing with children's books where you kind of you join up with an illustrator and and so that there's something quite lovely about writing something and then handing it over to somebody else and seeing them kind Mm -hmm. of bring that world Mm. to life and uh yeah yeah I think as well you mentioned the sort of the feeling of the of the children's book and I think it's something that we should all try and hang on to a little bit more the sort of magic and excitement and experimentation because that's what gardening really is, isn't it? So I think it's it's an important reminder to grown-up growers as well that we should all still be feeling Oh, 100%. I think, you know, gardening is is uh, it's most joyous when when it's full of play, you know, when you aren't taking it too seriously and you're kind of quite surprised mm. by what happens and and you're going at it with a, a, a sort of curiosity at what this kind of relationship can can bring out in both both sides rather than this, like, I will achieve this kind of attitude in the garden. And so speaking of, speaking of which, um, have there been times where you haven't got things right and what those uh, sort of learning experiences where you've perhaps tripped up on things or, or not quite got things uh 100% perfect in the garden oh my god I like how long do you have <laughs> my entire life <laughs> as long as you like <laughs> my entire gardening career is about messing up um I mean like I say I really do have this attitude that if you go to the garden with this sort of curiosity rather than this prescribed idea that that it is more fun but it's possibly more kind of eye-opening and so I spend my time disregarding rules endlessly to see what happens if you kind of push them and where the boundaries truly lie and whether they're necessary in any way. So, Mm -hmm. so much of my gardening is absolutely disastrous (laughs) because, you know, I've, I mean, uh, yeah, because I, I have really, really gone right the way to the edge of the boundary to see what's happened and particularly in polyculture which is this idea of growing all the um, vegetables and all your flowers or whatever growing them together in a kind of in a, in a muddle rather than monocultural kind of straight lines you have to spend a lot of time experimenting like you know who does a carrot really want to sit next door to and is it really bothered if a uh, you know a lettuce kind of shoulders it a bit too much or how does it feel about hanging out next to a, um, a dill or you know, does it does it feel kinship with a parsnip, or does it just feel competition? And and one of the joys about re- writing um, "Eat What You Grow" is is that I sort of started this polyculture journey roughly fifteen years ago, and wrote my first book about it, "The Edible Garden." And this is almost ten years on, and I have learned so much in that ten years about who you can really put next door to each other and how close you can get away 
with kind of in terms of spacing and and who doesn't mind the other person's watering requirements and sort of all of those things mm-hmm. so and and the only way to learn that is to, to get really crappy carrots <laughs> and you know cabbages which are just like never headed i like oh okay so you didn't like that <laughs> yeah. um no so kid. yeah really there's um there's been a lot of that and uh, you know some of the things are are more obvious i guess time and age sort of changes i really do understand now that a kind of certain size of a crop is because you are incredibly consistent with say watering and feeding um and you know i think when you start off mm. you think oh can i get away with this or how you know how much can i get away with and now i know if you want that kind of classic looking big vegetable you have to be there daily um and you can't go on holiday <laughs> Uh, um, you know, and you are married to that vegetable. Um, and equally, I think it's sometimes quite nice just to kind of have that realization that maybe that's not a priority. Because yeah. for me as well, I'd just be like, I, I know, I'll just get I'll try and get away with this, and if it works out, it works out, and if it doesn't, you know, I'm not too bothered about if I lose that crop. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's quite nice when you come to that realization that maybe you don't always want to have the biggest, the most yeah. perfect um, veg in your garden. I had this really kind of breakthrough moment because I think I'd been telling myself that, you know, oh, it doesn't matter, da, 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 da. but like deep down, always feeling a bit like, mm, why, why are their cabbages bigger than my cabbages? You're going to tell me now that it does. Uh, <laughs> and then I was, uh, I went to see a garden in Ischia, which is one of the islands in the Bay of Naples. It's the largest island in the Bay of Naples. And um, a, a friend over there, and he said, you know, come and see this incredible grower um he's also the 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 island's mechanic um and and everybody on Ischia produces a bit of wine has their own vegetable garden you know all of the um all the obvious things that you think of like southern Italians uh and we went to his garden and it was on Ischia is a big rock essentially that sits in the Bay of Naples and his garden was essentially on a cliff uh and at the base of it they had the where he did all his kind of mechanic stuff there was a kind of sort of car park and then it just really was very sheer and it went right the way up to the top where he had a little kind of cabin Mm -hmm. and he grew the most incredible vegetables but it was so higgledy piggledy and it was really not what i thought of as italian vegetable growing either where where it can be quite kind of regiment and 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 very sort Mm -hmm. of um very aesthetically pleasing, but very sort of straight line. Instead, you know, there was tomato here, and then there was a lemon, and then there was a goat, and then there was another tomato kind of tumbling off another, because it was a sort of, you know, it's a sort of cliff face with ledgers. Yeah. And, and in these pockets on these ledgers, he was growing stuff. Um, and, and, you know, the garden was the most sort of extraordinary really truly extraordinary space I've ever seen and you'd say to him oh why are you growing this here and he's like ah lemons like it there like every answer was like ah you're a melon wouldn't you want to sit here and (laughs) and um then you know on top of this there were rabbits they eat a lot of rabbit on this gear so the rabbits in like little huts all over the place and then like you know these these goats that were just hanging out and he had this kind of cave which is very typical also which is sort of his house was sort of 
built into this sort of cave space where he he made his wine and we ate this unbelievable meal drank his own wine um and you know like the food was so delicious and i looked out on the garden and realized that by most people's standards it looked an utter mess mm. and 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 quite a lot of the produce wasn't like a classic size that you would expect but everything just tasted phenomenal mm. And and I think it was a really, like, I remember just having one of those afternoons where you think, gosh, I didn't realise life could be this good. Mm. But also, like, I can let go of a lot of hang-ups I have about what vegetable gardening should look like. Because actually, all that matters is that once it hits the plate, it tastes as good as this does. And mm. everything else is actually utterly yeah. irrelevant, as long as it's mm. good. And and I think once you have that kind of, you take that thing, the cabbage that looks a mess in the vegetable garden, well, as long as you've got enough out of it for supper, it really doesn't matter if it looked a mess in the vegetable mm-hmm. garden. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many holes it has in yeah. it, as long as there's, there's enough for you to do something with when you get it into the kitchen. And I think since that, I've, yeah, dropped a lot of angst about, you know, having a plot that looks what other people consider should look like and and now I'm just ruthlessly after flavor yeah yeah um you grow on an allotment as well as your garden don't you yeah so yeah so I have to and I grow food in both spaces Mm. um the garden is more shamelessly pretty um in that it has this kind of you know classic cottage garden Mm. feel and there are a few more ornamentals in it than there are on the allotment but not many more um but it also had some sort of things that came with the garden so it has a magnolia at the end of the garden and there was a rose that it came with that you know i inherited and have just left there so there's some some things that Mm. i wouldn't necessarily if i started again choose but they were already in there whereas the allotment was more of a blank spot and i do a little bit more testing on the allotment so there's a degree more of it being slightly more tamed on the allotment, should we put it that way? Um, So how do you decide um, which crops are going to go where? Is it stuff that would be in your garden that you perhaps know you use on a day-to-day basis or... um... Is it just sort of? I mean, I do really pursue that. that, Like, where should it? Where would it be happier? Um, And I go to the allotment pretty much daily, Mm. so I don't. And it and it's also a sort of seven-minute walk from my from my house. So if I do forget something, it's not actually that hard to kind of turn around and get it. Um, To some extent, the allotment is more effort because things like pigeons and and because there's kind of because there's more allotments around it I guess as well so there's sort of so to some extent yeah it's quite a handy sort of like if there's a hungry pigeon yeah like all of the food is in one little nice neat area isn't it at an allotment site whereas in your garden perhaps it's (laughs) slightly more concealed yes and and for instance my neighbor has a, a really lovely dog that bounds around and has lots of energy and a pigeon wouldn't have like you know a pigeon would see it bounding around and and go off. So I've got kind of more pigeon watchers at home. <laughs> um, so, so so quite a lot of the, the kind of brassica family live with me at home because it makes more sense. Um, and clearly there's a lot of herbs and a lot of salads because those make sense to have close to home. And then mm. and then it's a case of where is their space and who and where will 
the thing do best. Um, I have a poly, a tiny polytunnel on the allotment. It's slightly shaded, so it mostly grows um, cucumbers because they're the ones I find do best in in kind of a more mm-hmm. shaded position. And so then things like tomatoes and chilies stay at home because it's really really sunny and it's a very sunny southwest facing back on. And the allotment has a lot more shade, so that determines some things. And then I, you know, I want at home to have, like I say, this kind of romantic look. So there's lots of perennial umbels, um, which I may not use a huge amount of. You know, they're sort of things like Korean celery and um, angelica and stuff like that. But I love the way they they look, so Mm -hmm. they kind of they get to be at home. And so, other than finding a spot that your plants would be happiest in um do you have any tips or tricks that you would be able to share with the listeners I know we um have seen a huge uptake in gardening in general over the last year and I think perhaps now people are maybe going back into offices and things so if you have any sort of time-saving tips or money-saving tips or anything else I mean that you'd be able to share getting the plants established is the main thing, I think. So I I do do direct sowing, more so on the allotment, where there is more likely to be kind of bare ground to direct sow. But a lot of the stuff I raise is in modules at home, and then I take and plant it out, mm. either at home or on the allotment. So I think there's two things about that. Um, you know, the compost that you buy, the preferably peat-free compost that you buy, um, from from the shops has about eight weeks of food in it so if you've and it's quite easy to have something in a kind of small pot or a module for more than eight weeks particularly at this time of the year you might have started off a chili in january say right and it's still in the little pot waiting to kind of get to the Mm. size where you could put it into a bigger pot or plant it out um and it will have run out of food so some kind of liquid feed whether that's comfrey or nettle or seaweed or, you know, something like that, really makes a big difference, even on those small plants. Mm. And I think that's a big thing that I've learned over the years. I, I think, yeah. you know, there's this idea that you start feeding when the plant is more mature. But actually, if you can liquid feed with something that's kind of more of a tonic, like seaweed or something like that, start it pretty early on in its life. And then if you don't have much time, because you're just going to the allotment once a week, everything that you plant out dig a hole, fill the hole up with water, really fill it right the way up, you know, so pour in water to it, walk away, do it a second time, right the way to the top of the hole, let it all drain the way through, because that's going to be, you know, a volume of water right the way down into the soil. Mm -hmm. Plant your little plant, whatever it is, um, water it again, and then mulch it with something that's dry. And that way you know, whether that's compost or bark mulch or whatever you've got to hand, really, or even if it's just dry soil, pull, pull that on top of the, and cover the wet soil. And that way, that little plant is now sitting in a really, truly damp spot. And so its roots will get going as quickly as possible. And paying attention in that first moment will buy you so much time. Because if you plant something and don't water it in properly, or don't water it at all, you'll come back and find that it's, you know, it's struggling to get going. 
um, or its roots. Always on the back foot if you don't get yeah. that it right straight away. A hundred percent, and and that that occurring encouraging those roots very early on. You know the the point about making sure that the soil is so damp is that the roots are instantly encouraged to go out and explore it because there's water and that's what they do. They don't seek dry soil; they seek damp soil. So if you're if the kind of the the soil ecosystem around them isn't damp, they don't start exploring they stay in their spot waiting for you to come and water them again so i think those are the things that i've learned through you know terrible error <laughs> various periods <laughs> really really do make such a huge difference and then also just keeping that watering going until you see the first new set of leaves at that point then you can kind of you can imagine that the roots are getting going and have found a source of of moisture to go and do their own thing and you don't have to be quite so regiment with the water but until you see those new growth and the new growth is such a good sign that the roots are growing and it's not until the roots are growing that they will put on new leaves and so I think that's um that's really important yeah absolutely um so before we let our guests go um we always like to finish on the the big question um what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned over your horticulture career always listen to joy larkham yeah whatever joy larkham says <laughs> she is you know she is the goddess of vegetable growing yeah. and uh don't you know you can just buy that wonderful book do not be put off by the fact there are no pictures that's a sign it's a really good book yeah <laughs> um and read it cover to cover because honestly i you know if it's not in that book, it's not worth learning. Um, uh, so I think that's one of the big lessons. And also, I think to people worry a lot about plants, uh, and it's the wrong, you know, oh, I'm worried this thing's not going to do well, or duh. it's the wrong, it's the wrong attitude. Yeah. They they've got everything. They're their own independent. They've got an autonomy about their life. They're, they're very capable you know you like you look at your seedlings and you think oh look what I've done you've done nothing it was in them programmed to do this miraculous thing um you just open the seed packet um which isn't to belittle the joy of doing it but they are their own beings and so if you can kind of relax a little bit on feeling you're in control of their life and actually observe them properly Mm. as their own autonomous beings suddenly a the relationship sort of opens up in a really interesting way Mm. and and again that sort of sense of curiosity can come in about why they make the choices they do but I think it's good because it sort of Mm. also knocks you out of this thinking that you go to the garden in control or somehow that the garden is yours when actually kind of Mm -hmm. you belong to the garden not the other way around that's yeah, um, a really nice way of looking at it. Yeah. yeah, and I think that I think as well that's really that's really proved by the fact that you look at some of the things that say for example you've got a tomato plant in the ground and you fuss over it and worry about it as you said people worry about their plants but then if you've missed a tomato that's fallen onto the soil then the fact that those seeds will grow on the next year without you doing anything at all <laughs> shows that 
actually they they really do want yes, to live and they're grow, fantastically they? good at it and also we understand so little maybe that's the real thing it's like despite all these books and despite all of these scientists we really don't truly understand their their ways i mean they they if you've gardened for any amount of time, you're endlessly astonished by something doing exactly what you're told will never, ever work. And then it will, you know, <laughs> there it is, happy as Larry, growing where it shouldn't. Um, and therefore, sort of actually bowing down to their wisdom and rather than assuming that you have yeah. you have it is maybe a good a good life lesson in general, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and and takes a little of the kind of pressure off gardening well thank you so much for speaking to us today it's been really great to chat with you um we'll let you get back to your garden now so blake shall we go and chat about envy envy is a family-run environmentally conscious business based in derbyshire supplying high quality high concentrated garden solutions straight to your home their award-winning range consists of organic fertilisers, soil conditioners and pest control products, as well as some truly unique products that encourage earthworms in soil and improve the quality of shop-bought compost. Envy believes small packages can lead to big possibilities. By using packets where possible to hold their premium ingredients, they're able to reduce their packaging by an astonishing 96% on average. The MV range is available to buy from their easy-to-use website where they offer free UK mainland delivery on every order. The website contains lots of useful growing guides and gardening content for both amateur and experienced gardeners alike. Their knowledgeable customer services team are available to offer help and advice. Go green with Envy at envy.co.uk. That's envii.co.uk. So it is, drumroll, that time of the year again where we all virtually meet up for the Grow Show. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> so we started if you didn't don't know and you didn't attend last year we started this last year um because everybody was you know in lockdown and stuff so um and it was just really really popular it's a online virtual show where we get together some of our friends from the gardening industry some experts some celebs um and we all come together and they um share video tours of their garden um how-to guides on growing stuff uh there's downloadable content so it's like a an actual gardening show except it's all online and it's all free yes laura forgot that one but yes it is also free so i'm really really excited it's about to start it's <laughs> going to be on for four weeks isn't it so um if you are looking for new ideas you want to just come along and see what it's all about you've got four weeks to access this stuff so it's going to be a really buzzing little gardening hub of um exciting offers and ideas and stuff looking forward to it also it's definitely worth saying that this year we have the addition of the grow show awards um which basically is going to be that each show area has an award category assigned to it for example rudest looking vegetable (laughs) or best pet in the garden um and we are looking for input from your good selves 
the listeners, not Blake and George, although <laughs> Blake and George, I'm sure you can enter as well, um, and social media followers to send in their pictures from their own gardens and you can win some prizes. Um, so I don't want to, you know, bring the mood down after we've talked about a really fun online gardening show, but I was reading a feature in The Telegraph this week called The Dark Side of Our Houseplant Obsession. Now, I know we all love a good houseplant, so mm-hmm. I think this is probably one for one for all of us. Um, it's a feature by Matthew Appleby and basically says that it's the horticultural equivalent of fast fashion mm-hmm. and there's an environment wrecking problem with houseplants that you may not know about. Um, basically what this is that the vast majority of houseplants are grown in peat Um, obviously as we all know the mining of peat is now widely condemned as it says here and unsustainable environment wrecking and carbon emitting it's also a finite resource Um, it does regenerate but only forms at a rate of one millimeter annually Mm. um So, yeah, it seems to be that although a lot of people are aware of going peat free, not a lot of people are aware of um, the fact that houseplants are often grown in peat. Um, So now the National Trust is working with nurseries to develop a range of peat free indoor plants that should be on Mm -hmm. sale by the later part of this year or early next year. Um, There's also a quote in here from the RHS saying we will be working with all of our suppliers for indoor, outdoor and specialist plants to reach our 2025 peat free target. Mm. So, yeah, I think obviously we all love bringing some plants indoors, but perhaps something just to consider. Watch what it's been grown in. Definitely. Definitely. I think it's an interesting one that it's like, so a lot of us obviously go, go out of our way to, to buy free range eggs, say, for example, it's that they're more popular now in Britain, aren't they? They're meant to be than non-free range eggs. But yet when we buy something like, you know, maybe baked goods and things, most mm. of those won't have free range eggs in them, do That's they? So it's, it's kind of that mm. sort of hidden, hidden offender, I think yeah. is, is sort of what you've maybe got with some of those house plants. The other interesting yeah. thing I saw, um, the the Telegraph did a a poll as well around that article you mentioned and asked mm. people if they realised that most house plants were grown in peat and eighty two eighty three percent said no they didn't realise wow. so yeah. it's it's definitely a sort of hidden hidden offence I suppose yeah I think that's the thing I think um, sellers probably have to commit to being a little bit more transparent about it because a lot of people are actively yeah. Um, trying to avoid it in other areas so i mean you have to be informed Mm. to be able to make informed choices Mm, definitely um well i'll move on the thing i wanted to to bring up really it's it's less of a sort of news story or or anything um but i just wanted to ask you guys a question really because i'm a bit less of a sort of experienced grower than you two and i've been thinking i've been growing some sort of quite straightforward crops and I was thinking I wanted to try something a bit different Mm. so I wanted to put the question to you two what's the most exotic thing you've ever grown I think first of all George I think it is always a good idea to have at least one thing on the go that you're like this isn't this might not go to plan and I'm not even sure how to cook it when we get to the end of the season but (laughs) I'm giving it a go anyway um yeah I grew soya beans which (laughs) <laughs> in my head I was like oh this is great I you know like the 
um, little green edamame beans that you get if you go out for mm. Japanese food or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, so I had these visions of like bowl, bowls and bowls of those um, fresh from the garden. But in actual fact, you don't get mm. much off of one plant is what I found out. And I didn't, I had about three plants <laughs> in pots. And so I got a handful at most. So mm. um, do you think about how much you're going to get? It, was it uh, worth it for that though? I want to say yes, was but that I'm, not sure, enjoyable? I'm not sure it was to be honest. I didn't grow them again <laughs> last year. So <laughs> take from that what you will. No. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um. I think mine, again, mine isn't something that I would say is really exotic, but just a little bit more unusual than normal. Um, a couple of years back, I tried some yard long beans. Mm. <laughs> um, they were some purple ones and they, I mean, as the name suggests, grow really, really long. Um, they, I would say similarly to Blake, it was all going well the plants were looking good they didn't come to a huge amount and I'm not sure if that was for environmental reasons because I think they um need a fair Mm -hmm. amount of Mm. time and things or whether it was just that I had done something wrong but um yeah I'd like to try them again but obviously the space that they take up for what you get from them although if you do grow them properly one Mm -hmm. bean is definitely a portion (laughs) (laughs) just have one bean for your tea so have you got any exotics that you um that you would like to grow this year yeah i was gonna ask what is there something in um that you'd like to grow uh i read something recently about somebody claiming they'd managed to grow dragon fruit really successfully in the uk which i thought was an interesting one that's quite Um, an achievement to be honest I'd, i'd have thought yeah yeah You'll have to report back. Yeah, I, I, We're going to hold you to yeah, it. I don't think I'll be able to pull that off, but worth a go, perhaps. You never know. We will hold you to this and we will check in in a few episodes time and be like, George, have you started your, have you started your dragon freeze? Right, well, whilst you two get back to the magazine, I will um, provide some jobs for the plot for this week. With windowsills brimming, this is often a month when veg plants undercover are forced outside. Hardening off your seedlings will acclimatise them to the full strength of the sun and wind. Skip this process and you risk those soft, sappy leaves shriveling or wilting within hours. The process thickens the waxy cuticle of the leaves and this takes time, approximately 7-10 to days, so simply move plants to a shady, sheltered spot outside every day for a fortnight and bring them back in at night before then planting them out properly. After a rather dry April, May has gone to the other extreme. Make sure that any containers you're planting have sufficient drainage holes at the bottom and place some broken terracotta debris at the base to prevent any water blockage that could kill off plants. It's also a smart idea to try to collect as much of this rainwater as possible before the inevitable hot and dry summer arrives. Even if you don't have a proper water bar, any large containers will do the trick. The wet weather also seems to have provided a couple of other challenges too. First of all, it has given a new lease of life to the weeds on my plot and I'm sure you're the same. Try to get rid of them as soon as they appear to reduce competition for your edible plants. Secondly, the local slug and snail population are basking in these damp conditions. Make regular trips around your garden in the evening to pick them off your plants by hand as young seedlings are the perfect snack for these hungry garden residents. 
Have a lovely week in the garden and until next time, happy growing. Thank you for listening to The Dirt in association with Envy. You can find an amazing range of high quality organic feeds, fertilisers and pest control products at envy.co.uk. And don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode of The Dirt. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell all your lovely garden and allotment neighbours where to find us. Plus, as a special treat... We've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number 7, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote gpod7 to receive seven issues of our magazine Grow Your Own straight to your door for just $29.99. That's $11.94 off. Every issue is edited by me and the team and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list and a big bonus. Each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds so you can get growing straight away. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And on a final exciting note, we're on the hunt for podcast guests and the next one could be you or someone you know. If you... A friend or a family member has some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters they'd like to share. Let us know by emailing thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk.